0: Here's a question to start things off this week. Why is oilseed rape disappearing from our fields?
1: The first thing is the... Um, when we lost the use of the neonicotinoid seed treatment.
0: And talking of fields, I've been in several this week, looking at the crops and trying to spot a combine and finding out about the huge efforts and expenditure being made by our farmers to improve the lot of wildlife, insects, bees and butterflies.
2: There is an amount of bees and butterflies and insects, spiders, absolutely everything in these margins. The Week in Agriculture.
0: This is the Farming Programme. With Steve Orchard. Good morning. A very hot and sticky week last week. Several sleepless nights in the Orchard household. Rather fresher over the weekend, but uh, still not much rain. Although that looks about to change. We'll take a look at this week's farming weather at the end of the program. First, a quick look at the week's agricultural headlines. And following this season of extremes weatherwise, the NFU has launched its 2020 harvest survey, which it would like arable farmers to complete to help demonstrate the land-efficient way in which the UK produces crops. The union said it was vital for government to understand the precarious position British oilseed rate was in, for example. And dairy farmers who suffered significant milk price cuts in April because of Covid disruptions and have yet to submit their claim to the Dairy Response Fund have now got until mid-September to apply. The deadline's been moved from last Friday, 14th, to September the 11th. Now let's talk about the disappearing crop that is oilseed rape. Club Hectare's Chris Hewis joins me this morning to shed a little light on why that is, and we'll get an update first on the club's activities. Morning, Chris. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme today. You okay? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, very well, thanks. Now, Chris, you're uh, chairman of Club Hectare. It's been a, a bit of a tough year for members, really, hasn't it?
1: it's it's certainly been a very different year to what we expected. On the back of a very successful year last year um, my, my sort of partner in crime with Club Hector, o Dixon and I we, we, we got together with a team and put on a brilliant get together at the Serials event last year um, and we thought well this is so successful and we can grow from this and planned bigger and better this year and then that was just all taken away from us obviously. So yeah it has been a challenge this year. It's you know what we what we do is getting together and um, socializing people um and w- which obviously doesn't happen on farms, so that's why we we do what we do and we've not been able to do that so um yeah it's been a, a challenge for us this year.
0: Yeah, it's been a frustrating one all round, really, hasn't it? Now, you've run a poll on the Club Hectare uh, site recently about cropping plans for next year, with no requirement for greening, crop diversification next year. What's been the outcome of that?
1: Yeah, these, these polls are something new that we're doing. Jono uh, had the idea um, a few weeks back, because we're, we're always looking to get people involved and engaged and, and in discussion. So we thought, if we do a poll... A, we'll learn something about what's going on um, uh, around the country, and B, it will hopefully it, it will inspire um, you know some some good conversation and people's opinions and, and conversation. It, it, it's a new thing, and we're going to cover lots of subjects with the with the polls. But the cropping one, it, it showed some interesting figures. Just about forty uh, percent of people are still are still growing cover crops. Um, we were trying to work out whether people were just growing cover crops because they had to for the greening requirements. Uh, but there's, there's other things in play, and people have realized the, the the importance for organic matter and the soil health. So, yeah, almost half of farmers are going, going to carry on growing cover crops. I okay. think what surprised me was the 20% that are uh, possibly going to revert to, you know, wheat after wheat, just continuous wheat, uh, there, was, there was 20% of growers quoted two crops or less. So whether that's going to be wheat rape or continuous wheat, uh, who knows?
0: Where can we see that, on the Twitter feed or on Facebook yeah, so or where? People
1: log on to Twitter um, and just uh, search for Club Hector and they'll find a post that, was, um, that went live on Saturday morning breakfast time and they'll be able to get involved, they'll be able to vote and make comments
0: on there. Excellent. We'll keep an eye on that one uh, each week. Now, can we talk about oilseed rape for, for a moment, Chris? Um, not long ago, our fields were ablaze with the yellow flowers and the distinctive aroma of oilseed rape. Now, uh-huh. not so much. And we see all sorts of stories. I'm never going to plant this again. The yield's been awful. What's gone wrong with oilseed rape?
1: The first thing is the um, when we lost the use of the neonicotinoid seed treatment, so neonicotinoid seed treatments uh, control cabbage stem flea beetle, which is um, a, a, you know, it's, it's, um, a very serious problem, pest, that nibbles off the, the plants as they're emerging. So that's the first thing, um, and that makes it more challenging. It started as a bad problem in um, Hertfordshire area and across to Suffolk, and it's gradually moved north. So so we have a, as a problem around here now. Well, I think um, Cabochem flea beetle took a lot of blame that it didn't deserve in the last year because I, I see the problem um, in this area uh, and other areas was the, the extreme dry at planting time last year, last autumn, um, and the, the very dry conditions, the seed was, was just laid in the soil for far too long before it germinated. Lost its vigour, or didn't grow at all, or was was more easy pickings for any cabbage stem flea beetle that were around as it was struggling to grow. So I think the there's been a combination this year, certainly of, of drought and cabbage stem flea beetle. Um, but that certainly has been some, you know, as, as we see on Twitter and in our conversations, there's been some disastrous yields. And and if people have been struggling to grow rape, and then they've had a disastrous yield this year. I think that would would convince some of them that that's it. They're no, they're not doing it again.
0: But there's still the market for for rape, and so is this just going to be grown outside the UK? Is it the end for rape in the UK?
1: Um, I, there, there's a market for it in this country, so anyone who's carrying on growing it will find a market. But the the um, ironic thing, of course, is that imported oilseed rape will have been treated with neonicotinoids, most <laughs> likely.
0: Yes, absolutely. And if, if there's no oilseed rape in uh, in a field next year, what are you going to replace it with?
1: This is the big question. You know, in a, in a rotation, you know, it, it's in my view it's important to have a rotation of crops. You need break crops between your cereals. Um, and so it's a juggling act, trying to find a suitable alternative. Rape has been the go-to crop for a break crop for, for a long time. And so looking for alternatives, whether it be linseed, beans, peas. Um, you know, the, or, or grasslays even. These are all all things that people are looking at now. I think, and and going to have to consider.
0: Chris Hewis, chairman of Club Hectare. Many thanks for joining us again on the farming program. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. Well, I was allowed out of the studio for a day on the farm this week. It's been a while since I've done that, and I'm obliged to Lednham farmer Andrew Ward for hosting me and showing me what's going on at the moment, or to a large extent, what's not going on. I certainly didn't see as many combines tracking up and down the fields as I was expecting for mid-August. Andrew, why are we late? What's going on? Well, we've got... Uh, stood in front of
2: us uh, is a 35 acre field of spring wheat but the problem we've got straight away is because of the wet winter that carried over into the spring we'd normally like to get spring crops planted early to mid-march so they reach their potential but because it was wet we couldn't get them in till the end of march and early april so so that's one issue now the other issue we've got here is the thickness of the plants normally you'd need somewhere between five to six hundred ears per square metre ears of grain so we've got an ear here in our hands we've just pulled so one of those ears which is probably three to four inches long three inches long you'd need um 600 of those per square metre but also in that ear you would need approximately 60 grains per ear and what have we got at the moment in in those when you get an ear like we've got here and and rub it out and we've we're rubbing it out like that, blow the chaff away. We've got some nice grain, bold grain. And it doesn't bot- look like there's that many in there. No, exactly. As we said, there'd normally be 60. And the one we counted a few minutes ago was just over 40. And you bite it, and it's not hard yet, which means it's it's not ripe. So so the issue is we're down on ear numbers and we're down on grains. But then the other problem we've got, what else can you in that, see in that? Yeah, there's tree? an awful
0: lot of green in there, isn't there? Exactly.
2: So we've got this what we call secondary growth. So the dry April, May gave us big problems because the soil was wet at planting time in March. The roots didn't go down into the soil. So the minute that dry weather came and we hardly got any rain at all in, in April and May in the first half of June, the roots didn't go down for the moisture. Then when that rain came, we've got um, shoots sprouting up from the base of the plant. And these here, when, when you pull some of these up, We've got that one there, and you look at that, Steve, compared to, I don't know, pick another one that's, that's different. So
0: we're about half the size. Yeah. We're green.
2: Yes, exactly. And, of course, that will never ripen. Now, in a normal year you'll get those ears will germinate and they'll come the same time as these main ears so you won't suffer the secondary germination. So that ear really, if, you can't rub it out because it's small and if you actually get a grain out of it, you can see, look, it's all juicy. There's a lot of moisture in there, isn't there? it? It's just like milky. And so so that, that grain really um, is no good. So that causes issues at harvesting.
0: And this is all down to the weather?
2: All down to the weather. The weather has caused all these issues that we've got at the moment. So for a spring crop... What's the ideal weather pattern to get the best yield? Well, you don't want a wet winter really to start with because you need to get the crops in early. So you need need a normal winter. You need to be able to get the crops in on this heavy type of soil early to mid-March at the latest. And then you want adequate dry spells
0: but moisture all the way through. I suppose like plants in the garden... You'd like nice sunny days and nice damp, wet wet nights. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what you want. We're in a, a track between two fields, and I look across, I can see the wheat field. Turn around the other side. Now, this, to me, is looking rather more positive.
2: It's a lovely field, a nice golden colour, isn't it? Um, and I'd say it's quite velvety when you look at yep. the top of it. And that's because this is spring barley rather than spring wheat. And uh, it's, it's, I'm quite pleased with this crop because it's, it's looking quite hopeful at the minute. So shall we have a walk in it? Yeah,
0: there's very little green tinge like there is on the, on the other side of the track, uh, No,
2: I, I, exactly. And this is it. There are odd little bits of green, but generally... And you can tell by walking in it, and yeah. you do that, you can hear the noise, and that you can tell it's a lot fitter. Now, a barley crop to be fit and this is started to get like that, is the ears of the crop need to be fully necked over. So the straw's upright, and then the barley head will bend right over like an upside-down U. And so this isn't there, because this, these ears are sort of horizontal, aren't they? Yeah, so to, to me, it looks pretty flat yes. across the field. exactly, it is. And it will turn colour again when the ears go downwards, so the ears point down to the floor. But when you look in here, though, Steve, we haven't got the green, have no. we? There's a little bit but we haven't generally got the green, anywhere near the amount of green we've got in there. Now, to my mind, these barley crops have improved enormously over the last couple of months. And the rain we've had in June, um, this, we've got a lot of secondary growth on the, on the wheats, but we haven't got anywhere near that amount on, on the barleys. And this particular field here, it's a 45 acre field, and uh, it is a variety that will go for um, distilling. So it could go to Scotland, be brewed into, into um, whiskey, made into whiskey. Uh, it could also go um, to uh, Burton-on-Trent, to the uh, factory there, the, the um, Molson Coors factory, where they produce Carling and Grosch lagers. And this could go into lager. It could also go into breakfast cereals. Quite a lot of cereals have, have barley in them and it'll also go for animal feed. So there's quite a few uses there, and all those uses will purely depend on the quality we have at harvest time. If it, if it's high quality, meets all the specifications, it will go to the brewing industry.
0: And as we said, despite the ravages of the weather earlier in the year, that's actually not done any harm to this one.
2: I would like to think we're going to get off this, this field of, of uh, 45 acres or 17 hectares. I'd like to think we're going to get minimum 150 tons uh, of it and and I think looking at it it's quite nicely populated but so this looking at it here Steve is probably one of our our good news stories. That's a few pints of beer out of it. Exactly and I I, I would love to know the figure on how many tons (laughs) of grain you need for a pint of beer but yeah, this field here there's a a lot of falling down water in this field. (laughs)
0: More from my day on the farm in a moment uh, when we'll take a look at the efforts being made by farmers to improve the environment for wildlife particularly. And separately, Stuart Roberts from the NFU joins us to talk about doing our bit towards carbon net zero. Plus, we'll see what the weather has in store for us this week. And Kit's here from Openfield with the markets and prices report. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. So much effort has been made by farmers over recent years to protect and enrich the environment for our wildlife and indeed for the environment in general. More on that in a moment when Stuart Roberts from the NFU joins us. Much of that effort's gone unnoticed and unrecognised. Back to my wander around the fields with Andrew Ward. Around the edges of all the fields I've noticed as we've walked round, the, the, the crop doesn't go right up to the edge. Mm -hmm. right we've got this bit i know where are we 15 feet thereabouts
2: six meters which
0: is a lot longer it's overgrown by the looks of it what's the point of that
2: every single field of ours we've got six meters and in some cases eight meters of wild flower margins now these just haven't just happened out of out of nowhere we actually took a lot of time when we established these 12 years ago um, we got rid of a lot of unwanted weeds, and then we bought this expensive flower mixture, and um, we, we put it into the ground. And you can see now the flowers are just starting to go off, but there is an amount of bees and butterflies and insects, spiders, absolutely everything in these margins, which is providing
0: uh, food, but not for human consumption. But it's providing food for wildlife. So you've not. This isn't just grown. As, as it appears here, you've actually gone out, you've spent money, you've bought seed, you've, you've planted this. Will this just stay like this now, as it is now, or do you actually do anything with it? We do manage it.
2: There are certain regulations within the scheme that we're in. We're in a countryside stewardship scheme, and we are paid now uh, from Natural England and DEFRA to have these margins around the field. And it's part of the, the um, phrase that is quite often used now is public money for public good. So the old way of where farmers were getting paid for just having land now has uh, uh, gone. You, to get public money, as it's called, or to get money, we have to be able to, to show something for it. And this will become more and more in the Elm scheme that, that is going to be coming forward in the future. And this type of thing is what the government want to see and it's what the public want to see. And so we have to, we'll have to adhere to that.
0: Yeah, because you'll have A, spent money in planting this, Mm. but B, you've lost whatever percentage it might be of your field here, Mm. haven't you?
2: Every, if you add these areas up across, we farm about 1600 acres in total. If you add all these areas up, we are now growing about 85 acres of ground for food for wildlife and insects not for human
0: consumption i notice andrew as we look, walk around the fields there's what look like big plastic buckets at the side some are green some are blue what yeah. are they for Right, we've got two different
2: types. We've got the very large uh, 200-litre blue uh, sort of uh, barrels, if you like, plastic ones, and we've, we've reused those, and we've got wheat in them. We've put some metal legs on them. We've got a special little spring device underneath the bottom, and they'll hold wheat, so in the wintertime... Uh, when the pheasants and the partridges and pigeons i suppose as well and, and anything like that is looking for food these areas are providing food throughout the winter for them so that's the sort of the bigger buckets and then the small ones we've got that are really like a five gallon bucket are specially for songbirds and they're mounted three feet off the floor on a post so that the pheasants and the partridges can't get to it and inside those there's wheat oilseed rape and millet and all the songbirds use those as little perches on the edge and they're purely for songbirds.
0: You've got the little holes dotted round the, round the round edge the, of it for them to get inside. Get the heads
2: in. So there'll be about six or eight holes round the outside with a little perch underneath each hole so the bird will sit on the perch and pop his head in the hole and, and have his breakfast out the bucket.
0: We'll have a bit more from Lednam next week when we'll take a look at the sugar beet fields. Thank you so much for being my host the other day, Andrew. Aside from being very hot and sticky, it was very informative and enjoyable too. Now, the NFU's published a booklet entitled Doing Our Bit for Net Zero, which contains 26 examples of how farmers are working towards net zero carbon emissions and showing how we can make changes to business practices to help achieve the NFU's 2040 net zero ambition. Deputy President Stuart Roberts is on the line. Morning, Stuart. Uh, Now, we understand the objective of achieving net zero, but what's the booklet about? Is it to tell us how to do it?
3: Not at all. And really what it's to do is to illustrate, uh, to bring it to life really the, uh, what some people are already doing. Uh, so we can show that to the outside world. You know, net zero for us is something that hasn't just started. It's something we've been working towards uh, on farms up and down the country. But but also, Steve, and most importantly, it shows other farmers uh, what people are doing. It gives people uh, examples. It can give them maybe some inspiration. But for some of them, it also shows it's not difficult stuff. It's always it's not all big financial investment. Some of it is just changing the way we think, or, or etc. And uh, and I think it's just it just brings to life 26 examples. We know there are hundreds of them out there, um, and it's just really good to set these ones out for for others to uh, to learn from, to uh, to influence. And one of the things. Um, I think uh, it's really important in the my case study, actually, is it's a part of a journey. So actually part of it is saying this is what we've done. But part of it is also saying this is what we want to do going forward. This is where we take next steps. Uh, and that's something that other farmers can then give us ideas on. And we hope as much anything, it just starts a big discussion.
0: Does this, the, the, the goal of net zero agriculture by 2040 so you think, yeah, 2040 is a long, long time away. But to get there, it's going to be quite a challenge, isn't it?
3: It, it is. And look, you've got to remember, as a country, we've actually said by 2050. Uh, so agriculture, if you like, 2040, is already uh, looking at a faster pace. And we need that time to make the investment, uh, to make the improvement. So, so if you take something like cattle, for example, you know, to, to improve the genetics of cattle, you know, that's not a five-minute program, you know, by the time you have chosen your sires, you've identified your sires, you've uh, AI'd your cows, you've then had your calf, those calves have become mothers, uh, and they then go through a generation, it takes, you know, three years plus to go through one generation, um, so so 2040 will, will soon come round. but we're really keen uh, that, that everyone plays their part in that, and and. Unfortunately, it's not something we see from, from agriculture elsewhere in the world, but it's something that in the UK people have really embraced and, and we think is fantastic news.
0: And there's no real one solution, is there? We've got so many different farms in, in Lincolnshire, around the country, doing lots and lots of different things. There's no real one, you can't sort of say, right, this is what you all need to do. Everybody's got to do something slightly different, haven't they really, depending on what they do.
3: Absolutely. It would be great if there was one silver bullet that, that everyone could uptake and it would solve the problem. Now, everyone has got different soil types. They've got different farming systems. They've got different weather patterns. Uh, they've got different capital investment. And, and everyone will look at And that's why we've set the 26 examples up. Something to show there is no one way. Everyone's doing something a bit differently. And it's about looking at your farm uh, and seeing what you can do uh, on your farm. Um, And I should say, ultimately, we will end up with thousands of different solutions, but all based around the central core of getting to net zero.
0: And where can we see this booklet, Stuart? Uh, It's
3: it's front and centre at the moment of the NFU website. So if you go to NFU online, uh, you can find it there. And as I say, 26 live examples of different farmers uh, and what they're each doing to get to net zero by 2040.
0: Stuart, many thanks for joining us once again on the farming programme this morning.
3: Always a pleasure to speak to the farming programme, Steve, and keep up the good work.
0: Time
4: for our weekly look at the markets and prices now, provided by Open Fields. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. This week was another USDA report, and world ending stocks were seen climbing again, but this wasn't from the production increases the trade was looking for. Foreign 2021 wheat production was lowered by 3.7 million tonnes mainly due to a 4 million tonne reduction from the EU and a 1 million tonne reduction from Kazakhstan and Turkey. This was, however, partially offset by the 1.5 million tonne increase in Russia and the 1.1 million tonne increase from Brazil. Canadian production was left unchanged at 34 million and Australia unchanged at 26. London Wheat was giving back some of the gains that it saw earlier on in the week in line with external markets, even though we saw some decent volumes shown on the bid. This week's motif shows a big reduction in the managed money net position in milling wheat. After a week of selling, they are now holding a minor long position. The last time managed money was net was in November of last year. World wheat stocks are growing, whether it be the total excluding China or just for the seven major exporters, bearing in mind that there are probably further cropping increases to come from Russia and Canada. It will be tough to move prices higher, particularly as the Russian farmers are now starting to move. In Lincolnshire, we are now seeing wheat come off as we're well into the harvest, but with mixed results. On the whole, bushel weights are high and we are seeing some good protein levels on most varieties. Yield, on the other hand, is all over and it is very hard to get an average for the area, given there is still a lot of wheat to be cut. We should have a better idea next week if the thunderstorms and showers don't stop the combines from running. On seed rape, on the back of the USDA report, beans and subsequently seed rape fared the best. French oilseed rape futures finished up by €3 after two heavy down days. Despite improved yields, demand is good to very good. And currently, this is winning the battle with US funds running a long book. As more wheat is combined, oilseed rape is getting drilled. The oilseed rape has been drilled anywhere from the beginning of July to date. And it will be interesting to see how the earlier crops fare in comparison. Will early crops be stronger, get away from the flea beetle, slugs and pigeons... Or will this prove to be no better than drilling in the traditional August period? On the barley front this week there has been a limited amount of barley cut in the north of Lincoln but we have seen some more cut in the south of the county. Again high bushel weights and nitrogens but very mixed on yield. Barley could potentially be a very stop start in the coming weeks for many crops as they are now at different growth stages. Some are still looking exceptionally green. So moving on to prices this week for feed wheat, August 160 to 162 with no carry to November at 160 to 162. February 164 to 166 and May 167 to 169. Milling wheat premiums are currently £28. Oil seed rate for August is 322 to 324. November 332 to 334. February 335 to 337 and may 338 to 340 feed barley for august 120 to 122 november 123 to 125 february 126 to 128 may 129 to 131 for malting barley premiums please do get in touch with your open field farm business manager they are circa 8 to 10 pounds currently thank you very much
0: Thanks as ever to Kit Dickinson from Openfield. If you wish to make contact with Kit or a member of the team at Openfield, contact details are on their website. The Farming Programme. Five Day Forecast. When I was at Andrew's farm last week, the temperature was 35 Celsius. Uh, We're not going to get anywhere near that this week. Temperatures were just about scraping to the early 20s, and we do have some rain on the way. Northeasterly winds for Sunday at around 12 or 13 miles per hour. Cloudy with 10 or 11 millimetres of rain expected this evening. Monday brings some more rain through the middle of the day, quite calm with the wind swinging around, ending up from the southwest late in the day. Cloudy all day tomorrow with highs around 22 Celsius. Westerly winds in single figures on Tuesday again quite cloudy with showers through the middle of the day. Mostly dry through the day on Wednesday, just a light breeze, a uh, little bit of sunshine, a mostly dry day but overnight rain is forecast into Thursday. At the end of the week looks a little cooler with low pressure taking over, mostly dry and the winds picking up south southwesterly is getting up to over 20 miles per hour on friday now some good news to close this week for ollie chapman who's an agricultural student at rise home college ollie good morning i understand congratulations are in order
5: uh yes yes i would i would say you're probably right
0: <laughs> you've been nominated uh, to be agricultural student of the year by rise home college you're in the final four i gather
5: Yes, yeah, yeah, nominated by uh, one of my lecturers and then selected by the of Guardian Judges and shortlisted as one of the final four.
0: Excellent. Well done. Do you, when do you know the final result, as it were?
5: There's a virtual uh, presentation evening this year with obviously all the virus and everything that's happened and the circumstances we're in on the uh, Wednesday 21st of October, I think, the date is.
0: Excellent. Well, obviously, very, very best of, of luck with that. How far through your studies are you? Um, just finished my
5: foundation degree, um, so I've just finished that, and I've just been enrolled and started on a another course, which is part of the job that I do as an auctioneer at Louth and at Louth Market, and also Metal Mowbray Market, um, onto a course at Harper Adams
0: run by the Livestock Auctioneers Association. Excellent, good man. You got some sheep of your own, I gather?
5: Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, you caught you caught me catching them and having a day off to try and catch up on some of my uh, my own sheep jobs at the same time.
0: <laughs> excellent so what are your plans at the end of uh, your studies then
5: at the moment to carry on what we're doing and, and mark and carry on auctioneering and putting both Lau market name back on the mark, on the map um, and increasing the volume of stock both here and and at melton mowbray
0: well i don't want to embarrass you but i know your mum mandy's very proud she got in touch and told us all about it so uh, congratulations ollie keep everything crossed for october yes thank you the farming program is now available online and on the app and we'll be back same time next week in the meantime i'm steve orchard thanks to your company stay positive and have a good farming week